check in a little bit further because uh, today we're going to start something new. We're going to start a new series, uh, a new series called Eli. And we're going to be looking at the life of Elijah and the life of Elisha uh, in the Old Testament, in First and Second Kings specifically. And this is a series I've wanted to do for years, um, but I never felt um, just kind of the freedom to do it until, until today, actually. And um, the, the nerdy side of me that I just, I, I just couldn't do, that I was so tempted to call this series Original Jedi, because these guys, like when you look at, you know, you, we, a lot of us, we, when we think of prophets, like we, we think of people in, in cloaks, people that we call sages, uh, people that live out in the desert, people like Obi-Wan Kenobi. And so when you think of these guys, like um, th- these ideas of Jedi, the ideas of, of wise people moving in power, wielding the power of the force and going out for good, those not original ideas to George Lucas. Um, these ideas are God ideas. These ideas go back um, thousands of years to, to prophets of old, to Old Testament prophets and and there are prophets that, that preceded even the prophets that we read about in the prophets in the Old Testament. But God worked through prophets even back in the book of Genesis, speaking through them. So what is a prophet? It's P-R-O-P-H-E-T, not P-R-O-F-I-T, but prophet. What is a prophet? A prophet is someone who speaks prophecy. And when we think of prophecy, we often think of, yes, a foretelling of the future. Uh, That is a type of prophecy, but it is not prophecy by itself. Prophecy is either foretelling, it is is speaking of things that have yet to come that God wants to um, alert us to. And prophecy is speaking things which are as they are presently. And so prophecy sometimes looks like words of knowledge, speaking things to others by the power of the Spirit to build up and encourage the church, things that only God would know. Prophecy is speaking words of wisdom to people, wisdom that can only come from God. And I've seen actually within our own local church over the last couple of weeks, people uh, speaking words of prophecy, wisdom, and knowledge over one another. And you say, well, pastor, I didn't see someone come up with a microphone and say, thus saith the Lord. Prophecy is not for show, guys. Prophecy is not something to show off. Oftentimes, prophecy takes place in intimate moments and times between people as God leads them. And so sometimes prophetic words come out on a stage behind a pulpit, but usually prophetic words take place um, one-on-one as believers gather together and do the work of the ministry as they are equipped to do by the Holy Spirit and leaders in their churches. And so look for words of prophecy. Look to speak words of prophecy over the lives of the people you come into contact with. And one thing as we, as we were talking about Father's Day, Kim was mentioning that earlier. Um, young people need prophecy desperately. In talking about Father's Day, young people need spiritual mothers and fathers to speak truth into their lives and to speak prophetic words from God into their lives. It is something their generation does not know. And so old people, you say, who's an old person? They're 42 and above. Old people. Young people need your words of encouragement. But your words of encouragement, if not peppered with and powered by the Holy Spirit, they're nice, but people need spirit-empowered words of encouragement, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, words of prophecy over young people. And so if you are an old person and you say, again, who's an old person? It's anybody that you're older than. 
If there's younger people than you, you need to take younger people under your wing, mentor them, love them, disciple them, and speak words of truth into them because they are desperate for it. And so look for spiritual sons and daughters. I have some. Look for some because they desperately need you, desperately need you. And so you might say, I'm busy. I'm retired. This is my time to kind of do my own thing. Uh, I put in all my years in ministry, all my years at work before. I'm telling you, if you're still breathing, and we're going to look at in a minute, maybe even in some weird way, even if you're dead, your work's not done. Your work's not done for you. They need you. You're needed so badly, and you might think, well, I'm not cool enough to speak into the life of the next generation. They're not looking for cool. They're looking for um, sincerity. They're looking for compassion. They're looking for love. They're looking for hope. Um, Young people aren't drawn to cool. Young people are drawn to love. Need people to love them. So let's pray and go home. (laughs) None of that was planned, but you needed to hear that today. And this is what prophecy looks like, by the way. And so um, if you could turn in Scripture with me, um, we'll have verses up on the screen. If you're watching online, first of all, welcome. We want to welcome you today. I know we've got people from all over the world watching us. Um, Verses will be up on the screen as we go through these. Um, If you're joining us uh, in our church campus in Oklahoma City, we'll have all these verses on the screen for you as well. And um, they'll be in the app. And for you in-house, these things will be uh, on our app, FC Online. You can follow along with Scripture. But the Scripture we're going to look at here in just a second is Acts chapter 5, talking about uh, Pentecost. We're going to go three chapters after Pentecost. Acts chapter 5 is something we'll look at. And so I want to make one announcement, and then we'll, we'll dig right in. Announcement. Um, next weekend, I hear, is a holiday called Memorial Day, uh, Memorial Day weekend. And here's the best news I've heard all week. Memorial Day uh, itself is supposed to be 85 degrees. And you're like, Pastor, that's too warm. No, it's not. It's perfect. <laughs> 85 degrees, Monday. Uh, Sunday, 82 degrees. Now, um, I'm, I'm happy with our turnout today. Church attendance is just bizarre with COVID, and so I'm, I'm stoked that you guys are here wanting to worship, wanting to uh, sit under teaching today and fellowship with each other. Um, Memorial Day weekend, um, sometimes, like, nobody comes to church, um, but sometimes we're surprised and a ton of people come to church. reason I mention all of that is to say, come to church next weekend. Um, we have two services next week, 10 and 5. I was very tempted to cancel our 5 o'clock service next week because it's Memorial Day. But I know if we cancel it, we could kill it. And I actually prefer our 5 o'clock service. And you might think, I love you. I love the people that come at 5 more. Um, <laughs> kidding. So 5 o'clock is really a, a special service. I don't love you more. I just I like what goes on at our 5 o'clock service. And so next week, our 5 o'clock service, um, we're going to have it outside. Uh, so next week, we're not going to have um, full band outside next week. Um, but we will have our service next week at 5 outside. Why? Just because we can. We've got an amphitheater. Um, If it were below 65 degrees, we have a fire pit. We won't need it. It's going to be pretty hot at 5 o'clock next week. And so um, I asked uh, our pastor of operations, can I buy pizza for everyone? And she's like, maybe. And so there's going to be pizza next week. Um, (laughs) 5 o'clock next week, we're going to have pizza afterwards. Remember, we do kids' church only at 10 a.m., but next weekend at 5, church is outside. There will be pizza. It will be Little Caesars. I'm sorry. Um, but it's five bucks. And so uh, pizza, the word, and worship outside, and we're going to have a good time and just hang out together. So Memorial Day weekend, inside at 10, air conditioning and kids' church, uh, full band screens, outside at 5, old school, okay? So 5 o'clock 
next week outside. So Acts chapter 5. Uh, 2,000 years ago, the church was exploding with growth, as Tim mentioned. It was exploding with growth at the preaching of the gospel, and it was attested to by miracles done at the hands of both the apostles and everyone within the church. And Acts chapter 5, verse 12 says this, and you say, I thought we're talking about Elijah and Elisha. We will be. The verse we're going to read happens about 800 years after Elijah and Elisha. You'll see the connection in a minute. It says, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. This was like a, for all intents and purposes, a hangout spot outside of the temple. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. This is talking about here the the church. People were, they they were very reverent of what God was doing. And this passage is confusing because people were joining them and becoming a part of the church, but there there was just this awe and reverence of stuff that was going on amongst the church when they gathered. Verse 14, it says, More than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, thousands of people coming into uh, the church. So that, verse 15, here's our verse, so that even uh, the, the people, they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came, by at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. God was healing. God was delivering people from from evil spirits. The, The church wasn't doing those things. God was doing those things, and it was happening through the church. That was God's chosen vessel. But there is this just uncomfortable verse here that I, I don't like, but the Bible says, and it's very strange, the, the, the Spirit was so strong in the church that people were so desperate to get close to, to these men and women that had walked tangibly with Jesus, now that people's eyes were being opened to who Jesus actually was, that even if people walked within Peter's shadow, they were being healed. Does that make you feel uncomfortable? Like, you might think, that's superstitious. Because it sounds superstitious, doesn't it? But yet the Bible talks about it as if it's fact. It doesn't say that God declared for uh, Peter, say, you know, thus saith the Lord, Peter, uh, go make little shadow animals and, and go alligator after people with your shadow and heal them. Like, you know, the shadow puppets, you, you follow me? Yeah, I'm sorry. That's something we did in the past. Um, that's bizarre. What kind of shadow is your life casting? What are you leaving in your wake? Some people, they walk into a room and they bring in stress. Some people walk into a room, they bring in anxiety and chaos. They bring in depression. Some people walk into a room with just a mood. And when they leave, somehow that actually stays behind. You say, how does that happen? I'm not sure. You ever experienced that before? Some people are so positive. Some people are so full of life and joy that when they walk into a room, you can feel it. And when they leave, they actually leave it there. I don't know how that works. So what are you leaving in your wake? What kind of shadow is your life casting? The power and presence of God was so tangible, so heavy, so thick on the life of Peter and his fellow apostles those original 120 people that were walking with the Lord as the Spirit fell was so strong that people were just 
being touched by his shadow and being healed. That's bizarre. But this doesn't stop here. Something very similar happens in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 records that the apostle Paul was doing a lot of very hard physical labor in building the church, both in his profession to make money on the side and in preaching the gospel. And when he was working hard, he had to wipe his brow with handkerchiefs because he was sweating, and his aprons would get sweaty. And then it bizarrely says that Paul's aprons and handkerchiefs were actually going out to people, and when they laid on them or touched them, they were being healed. And I just say, ew. Hey, take this sweaty rag and be healed. And today people do all sorts of bizarre stuff like this, like send $29.99 and we'll send you the apostle Peter Lakeland's um, tissue he blew his nose with and you'll be healed. Like, no, that's gross. That's weird. That's superstitious. But the power of God was so strong on the life of Paul that this kind of stuff was actually happening. You have to stop and ask yourself, like, why not today? Scripture says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's Hebrews 13.8. The Bible says the same power that rose Christ from the grave is alive in us. That's Romans 8.11. So these are not stories of experiences that happened a long time ago, stories that we tell around a fire. These are experiences that we are invited into to understand that these things can and do and are possible to happen today. But is it for the sake of miracles alone? Is it for the sake of shadows and sweaty aprons and handkerchiefs? And the answer is no. It is for the purpose of attesting to the good news of Jesus Christ, that you can be saved by grace through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it's for. God wants to heal. God wants to deliver. These are all good and wonderful things. But if they are not everlasting things, as people are saved by Christ with everlasting healing, just simple healings and simple miracles are just magic tricks. If it doesn't make a lifelong impact, does it really matter? So this is the kind of stuff that was going on. But again, this stuff wasn't new. This idea of Peter's shadow touching people and healing them wasn't just out of left field. This idea uh, of Paul's aprons and handkerchiefs healing people, it wasn't just radical idea that no one had ever heard of. These were things that they would have recognized from the Old Testament of, of Scripture. You see, something similar happened 800 years before Paul and before Peter, except for it happened with a dead man. It happened to a dead man named Elisha. Anybody ever been to a weird funeral before? I've, I've done a lot of funerals. I've been to a lot of funerals. I've been to some strange, some real strange funerals before, actually. I won't, I won't traumatize you by telling because I'm still traumatized by some of the strange funerals I've been to. But I've never been to a funeral like this. Thank God I haven't. Um, I'd never go to a funeral again. But the Second Kings 13. Here's where Eli comes into play. So Elisha died, and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen 
and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. So this guy is being buried like, oh, man, the marauding bands are coming. Toss his body into the grave and let's get out of here. Um, graves in the ancient Near East, uh, specifically here in the kingdom of northern Israel, um, they were essentially caves for all intents and purposes. There is a, if you've ever been to Israel before, the amount of caves in the land is almost unbelievable. Um, I've got the pleasure of going to Israel with some of you here a couple of years ago. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, for example, where Jesus uh, cried out to the Father on the eve of his crucifixion, um, there were little, like, slots in the walls around the Garden of Gethsemane with just skeletons just chilling out in the Garden of Gethsemane. Like, no big deal. They're just human skeletons laying here. And so, like, this idea of these graves just being open caves is, is not this radical idea. And so they, they toss him into the grave. Now, it happens to be where Elisha was buried. And it says, and as soon as the man, what man? The dead man. As soon as the dead man touched the bones of Elisha, he revived and stood on his feet. How many of you would like to witness that? How many of you would not like to witness that? <laughs> this is terrifying stuff. This is weird stuff. So the power of God was so strong in Peter 800 years later. The power of God was so strong in Paul 800 years later. But here the power of God had moved so strong within the life of this man, Elisha, that when a corpse came into contact with Elisha's dead body, the corpse sprung to life and began to dance to the song thriller. Maybe. An 80s joke there. And I, I, just, I hadn't looked at my own notes here in a couple days, and I, and I wrote down in my notes, that'll preach. And I was like, I just was looking like, what will preach? The fact that a dead person could, could touch the bones of someone who is so strongly impacted by God that they would come to life. Um, some some quasi-Christian movements today have taken these passages of Scripture radically out of context. And I, I don't want to judge movements because some of you uh, follow some of these movements, but sometimes um, we find people in today's age like going and like um, sitting on graves and to try to soak up the power of dead people. That's called necromancy. That's evil, wrong, gross, weird, sinful. Don't do that today, please. However, think about that for a second. Has, is there people who have gone on before you, people that have died before you that have made such an impact in the world that when you can come into proximity to the gospel that they preached, come into the proximity of the power they left in their wake, that it somehow impacts you to come to life in Christ. Your grandparents likely prayed for your salvation. Your great, 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 great grandparents likely prayed for your salvation. People generations and generations before you paid the price, paid the cost, put in the hard work so that we could be here today singing and teaching and fellowshipping and serving each other. Imagine if your life left a legacy so strong that when people would come into contact with the legacy that you left in your wake, that it could bring you to life. You follow this, by the way? You tracking? Because people make a big difference and impact in our lives. And so this, what's the backstory? What's the backstory of this guy, Elisha? How could God's presence be on this person who existed 800 years before the birth of Jesus, where does this kind of power come from? Well, it comes from God, 
But as we begin to dissect this story over the summer, we learn that Elisha received the power of God through his mentor, his spiritual father, a man named Elijah. Elijah. And Elisha didn't just receive this anointing. We'll call it an anointing. Elisha didn't just receive this anointing from his mentor, Elijah. He actually received what Scripture says, and we'll see as we read the story, a literal double portion. Everything that Elijah did and led Elisha to do, Elisha did twice as much. For spiritual sons and daughters that I have, for real sons and daughters that I have, I hope that they do twice as much as I do. Three times, four times, five times. Because I don't want any glory. I, I want God to get the glory. And if it can be perpetuated and grow and it can multiply beyond me, then, then, I, then I've done my job. What's God using you to hand double portions to your kids, to your spiritual sons and daughters, people that you've mentored? Are they experiencing twice as much as you have? Because it's not prescribed by us in the Bible, but it's described that it's possible. People can experience double. And so Elijah hands down this anointing to his spiritual son, Elisha, and then we're going to jump back to the New Testament as we wrap up today's message, as we're just introducing these characters. It's James chapter 5. So James chapter 5, 800 years after Elijah and Elisha, the brother of Jesus Christ who gets saved by Jesus and filled with the power of the Spirit following his resurrection from the dead, James, the leader of the church in Jerusalem, he writes the most practical book in the New Testament. James 5, verse 16, he says this. The prayer of a righteous person has great power at its working. First of all, none of us are righteous. So if you say, well, I'm not righteous, so how are my prayers powerful? Well, we're righteous in Christ. We're righteous through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So those who put trust and faith in Jesus are righteous so that we can come before God with bold prayers according to the name of Jesus, according to the will of God, by the power of the Spirit. Those prayers, uh, King James, availish much. Verse 17. says, Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Next couple weeks, we'll look at that story. But the point I want to look at and end with today, and this is where we're going to go from here, is Elijah was a man just like us. So you might say, Pastor, what was special about Elijah? Nothing. What was unique about Elijah? Why did God use and call Elijah? He was just a normal guy. He was a man just like us, yet look at what God did through him. He was a man with a nature just like ours, but he prayed fervently and miracles happened. And so we're going to be looking at the life of Eli, Elijah and Elisha, and look at how this all came into play. And their story begins in a very divided time in the history of Israel. You see, it was around uh, the year between 1,000 and 900 B.C. 
Uh, in 1000 BC, we find King David, this, this amazing king of Israel. He passes this kingship to his son Solomon, who would reign over the kingdom of Israel. Solomon would build the temple. But Solomon would make horrendous mistakes and introduce idolatry to the land. And after Solomon's death, the entire nation fell apart as kings would begin to worship and serve false gods that people that had been driven out hundreds of years before used to serve. And the country became such a wreck that it eventually split into two separate kingdoms, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Judah had a couple of good kings, and even though they went into great sin and apostasy before God, they had a couple of good years but the northern kingdom of Israel was just an absolute train wreck, uh, serving idol after idol after idol. And so it's during this time of division that God would introduce prophets in both Judah and Israel to warn both kingdoms of coming judgment. And the judgment would come. Israel uh, would be overtaken by the Assyrian Empire. And those who lived within Israel would be exiled throughout the entire planet. And so when we say the lost tribes of Israel, we're talking about those who lived in the kingdom of Israel that got so dispersed, we can't even track where they went. The southern kingdom of Judah would make it a little bit further, but they too would be defeated by Babylon. Babylon would exile them to Babylon. Babylon would be overtaken by Persia. The Persian king would then send Judah back to rebuild the land, and we could follow history until Christ from there. The bottom line is that God rose up prophets during times of evil. Here's the last verse we'll read. 1 Kings 16, 29 sets us up for an introduction to Elijah. And so if we're watching a movie, we're going to be introduced to the villain before we see the hero. And the villain is introduced in 1 Kings 16, verse 29. It says, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, the son of Omri, began to reign over Israel. So oftentimes in 1 and 2 Kings, it would say, while this is going on in Judah, this is happening in Israel. Because it's very important to those chronicling this history that we understand when exactly this takes place. This is a historical record. So while Asa is ruling in the south in Judah on his 38th year of being king, this new king is put into power in the northern kingdom of Israel named Ahab. And he's now going to reign over Israel. And it says he reigned over Israel 22 years. Verse 30 says, Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord. How would you like to be remembered that way? He did evil in the sight of the Lord. But it gets worse. It says, more than all who were before him. This guy, so remember uh, Elisha. How is he remembered? Well, somebody touches his, his body and they spring to life. But in contrast, Ahab, he's so bad. Uh, how bad is he? he he's worse than, than everybody. It's the worst of the worst. He was worse than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing, for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nabat. He's like, and you thought that it was bad for him to do what everybody else did. Here's what else he did. 
he also took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served, uh, we'll, we'll say Baal, uh, but pronunciation is usually Baal. We'll say Baal throughout this series. Um, he went and he served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. That's Israel. And Ahab made an Asherah. That's a, um, an inappropriate idol to build. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. You don't want to make God angry, but you don't want to make God more angry than he's ever been angry before with people. And again, we're contrasting two lives. Elisha, even when he's dead, he's doing great things. King Ahab, he's, he's so bad, he provokes God to anger more than anyone ever has. And he marries this, this woman, Jezebel. And even people who know nothing of the Bible know that Jezebel's not good. It's not a good woman. Uh, we had neighbors once that came over like, oh, your new baby's precious. What's her name? We named her Jezebel. And we're like, you should rethink that. <laughs> they spelled it in a way that made it a bazillion times worse, by the way. And it's like, Jezebel is not a good name. So this is, it's bad. It's as bad as it's been. It's so bad that, that Israel is going to be judged forever by the Assyrians. And they're going to be scattered. Prophets are often times called for times of evil. To confront the evil and give opportunity for repentance. This is why God used Elijah. This is why God used Elisha to confront evil. Many of us would love to have Peter's shadow power. Many of us would love to have Paul's handkerchief power. What if he's like a member of the X-Men the or the Avengers? Like, what's your power? Handkerchiefs? Check on my apron. Many of us would love to have super-powered aprons and handkerchiefs. Many of us would love to have the power and presence of God so heavy and thick on our lives that our bones would resurrect bodies when they touch them. Many of us would love to have God's presence so powerful in our life that it changed the atmosphere when we walked into a room. But most of us would rather not have it at all if that meant we had to be in times of evil. Most of us would reject the presence and power of God if it meant we had to confront sin. And I would actually say most of us already have done that. Because a lot of well-meaning Christians, ones that are especially charismatic, are like, we're all about the power and presence of God. But if you dig deep in their heart, oftentimes it's for them. God, move on me for me. But prophets, God moves on for others. Prophets, God moves on to call people to repentance. So many of us would love the power, but not the responsibility to call people to repentance. Many of us would love that kind of anointing, but not if that meant having to live in times and places of evil. Is it possible that you are living in the time you're living in right now 
so that you could be salt and light like Jesus said? Is it possible you're living in darkness right now because it is a dark time? Is it possible you're living in a dark time because God wants to use you as a light in the dark time to make an impact and a difference on people that when people would even come over to your house, they would say something's different here? When you step onto your workplace and you clock in, people would say there's something different about you? And oftentimes I hear stories from you, and I've done it myself. You say, like, people at work, they think I'm different. They think there's something unique about me. And I just try to tell them I'm just like them, and I try to fit in with them. And and I just try and tell them, no, there's nothing. I'm just a normal person. But if you've got the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you are not a normal person. You're there to make an impact and change. So oftentimes it's in the presence of our enemies that God prepares a table. Oftentimes, it's in the presence of our enemies where God anoints us with oil and power. Oftentimes, it's in the presence of our enemies that God anoints us so much that we're overflowing. Psalms 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. It runs over. Many of us would love for that verse to say, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my friends. You prepare a table before me when I'm by myself in my quiet time. But David, as the Spirit leads him, says, God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. And it's amongst our enemies where we can be anointed with his power and where his presence can overflow. Because if I'm having my private time with Jesus, being anointed to the point of overflowing, that, that's That's cool. But it doesn't make the kind of impact it does if I'm in a place where God wants to use me to make an impact, a change, and a difference. And so, it's these times, it's these times that God calls prophets to confront their enemies. You might say, Pastor, who's my enemy? Well, the Bible says, rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness, spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. If you were at our conference a week and a half ago, as uh, Dr. Darren Merrill said, basically, if it's, if it's human, it's not your enemy. It's flesh and blood, it's not your enemy. The things we're fighting against are spiritual. Sometimes spiritual forces work through people, though. So it's possible God's calling you to confront. It's possible God's calling you to declare truth. It's possible God's calling you to call people to repentance. It's possible that the reason you are where you are is so that God can use you to make a difference. You guys want to begin to prepare your hearts for responding to this this message in worship? Uh, Casey will come up and lead us in a song and as he does, as we sing the song, on both sides of the stage, um, we have communion. If you guys would like to come up and partake of that, um, if you would like to do so, just please go back to your seat before you partake so other people can uh, take the cup and the bread. This represents the, the body and broken of Jesus and the blood of Jesus spilled for our sins. It's interesting that It's reflecting on a time where Jesus ate with his disciples at a table. And here we're talking about Psalms 23, that God sometimes prepares tables in the presence of our enemies. But I believe strongly that God wants to raise up prophets. And prophets, as I mentioned as we open this sermon, it's not always the 
microphone and thus saith the Lord. Sometimes it's just encouragement. Prophets are not always, let me tell you, um, the next stages of your life for the next several decades. Oftentimes it's just encouragement. Prophets are not always, here is a deeply hidden secret in your heart that God wants me to reveal. Oftentimes it's just encouragement. It's just challenge. It's just call to repentance. And even though God uses prophets in power, and even though prophets strongly work to confront and rebuke evil, Scripture tells us that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And so if you want to carry such spiritual gifts, like Tim talked about as he was talking about tithe and offering, if you want to carry spiritual gifts, I'm I'm just telling you, it's it's not for you. It's not for self-glorification. It is to help other people. It is to build up the church. And so if you are a prophet, if you're working to encourage and challenge people, it's done out of love. It's done with gentleness like Jesus did when he talked to the woman at the well. It's not done with a hammer. And it's not done to say, ha, look at me, I'm a prophet. And in fact, I want you to call me prophetess, whatever. Like, you're, you're weird. You don't need to tell people you're a prophet. You want to boast about um, fasting while you're at it too? Like, how spiritual are you? Hooray. God's not looking for spiritual people. God's looking for people who are passionate about what he's passionate about. God's not looking for church people. He's looking for people who are passionate about what he's passionate about. God's passionate about saving the lost. The Bible says it's not God's desire that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. God's passionate about righteousness, that those who are saved by grace in faith in Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit working within them, would live righteous lives as an act of worship to God. God's passionate about righteousness and holiness. And God's passionate about truth. God's passionate about justice. God's passionate about sometimes rebuke. Pastor, how do I know when to call out, when to speak forth, when to keep quiet, when to pray, when to lay hands on someone, when to do shadow puppets to heal somebody? You follow the Spirit. You get plugged in community so people can hold you accountable and encourage you. Sit under good teaching and keep your, keep your nose in the Word of God. See where it leads you. That's how. So we're going to look next week. Elijah's fed by crows. Why? The week after that, Elijah prays it wouldn't rain. Why? Elijah defeats the prophets of Baal. Why? A little cloud brings rain. Why? Elijah gets depressed and wants to kill himself. Why? We're going to look at all this stuff, and we can learn so much from a broken guy like Elijah and his protege, Elisha. Because they were men They were people just like us. And they prayed fervently, and big things happened. So you and I were just normal people. But if we pray fervently, submit ourselves to God, allow him to fill us, amazing things can happen. Comfortable things, good things, new cars, new houses, um, new girlfriend, elaborate trips, um, the best meals and wine. It's, it's, It's not about that, guys. Great things can happen. Great things happening means lives and hearts being changed and reconciled to God. Let's pray.
with your uh, heads bowed and no one looking around just for the sake of eliminating distraction. I'm just curious, how, how many of you had someone that went before you that you're living in the wake of their blessing, that you're living in the path that's a good path that they set for you, that you're serving Christ today because of a, a grandma or a grandpa who prayed? Any of you? That's you? Like, raise your hand. Like, that's me? I, I can say that about the ancestors I know. And I believe in faith. I can say that about the ancestors I don't know. I'm just thinking about that. Like, wow, Elisha made such an impact. He changed people after his death. How many of you have had a spiritual mother or father or mentor who has spoke life into you before? Or maybe they're doing now. I have. I'd like more, but I have. How many of you have taken a spiritual son or daughter under your wing and cared for them and loved them and encouraged them and challenged them. I have. God's calling me to a season this next year to do that a lot more. What about you? Who are you? Who are you mentoring, discipling, helping, leading? But if you're here today and you're feeling I'm just not worthy or good enough or equipped, I don't know enough, I'm not holy enough. I'm not spiritual enough to do the kind of stuff that you talked about. Let me remind you one more time. Elijah was a man just like us. And he prayed fervently. And great things happened. So God, I pray that you would raise up um, spiritual fathers and mothers to mentor and to love on and to raise up young followers of Jesus in the ways that they should go. God, I pray you would pair up um, young disciples, young men and young women with spiritual fathers and mothers. God, we pray for miracles. We pray for prophecy. We pray for knowledge. We pray for wisdom. We pray for healings, all things we've looked at today. But God, not if it's for us, not if it's for self-glorification, not if it's to pump up or puff up the church, but only if it advances your kingdom and brings you glory. So be it, God. God, give us boldness to speak truth. Give us boldness to love. Give us boldness to equip. Give us boldness even to rebuke, if that's what you call us to do. God, in the evil places we find ourselves in, in the presence of our enemies, would you, and thank you for preparing and prepare a table before us, God, you've prepared a table before us of good things, of your word, of your spirit, and of your church. And God, as we have that table set before us and we uh, eat and drink uh, literally of the cup of communion, and as we eat and drink your spirit and your word and fellowship with one another, would you anoint us with the oil of, of power and presence of your spirit that would impact those around us? God, it might not be by our shadow, but I believe it will be through our words. It might not be through our shadow, but I believe it will be through our work ethic. It might not be through our shadow, but I believe it will be through our legacy that's left. God, may our houses, even our cars, our cubicles, our desks be places where when people would come into proximity of them, that they would be able to sense not us, but sense the power of your spirit within us. Let us be so close let us be so intimate with you that 
your presence would rest so heavy on us that it would just change the atmosphere, change the atmosphere where we go. God, for those who are carrying around a spirit of confusion, for those who are carrying a spirit of anxiety, a spirit of chaos or depression, that when they enter into a place that that rests there, God, we speak against that in the name of Jesus. Ask for deliverance and pray that you would replace that with your spirit of peace so that they would leave peace in the places they go. God, use us. Um, use us. Equip us to do what you would have us do and let us say yes. Let us say yes, yes, and yes. If anybody does not know you today, I pray that they put faith in you, Jesus. You love them. You've called them to belong to you. You died for them. You forgave them of their sins. You restore their relationship with God. You give them your spirit. And God, all you want them to do is to say yes, yes to you, to receive and to follow you, to put faith in what you've done. So, so be it, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you guys stand? We'll sing. And as I, as I mentioned, the song will go.